Today's episode of Ag State of Mind is brought to you by Magnetic Ag, the All the Things Agriculture newsletter. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Are you looking for carefully curated and delightfully digestible ag news? Well, look no further. Magnetic Ag is a twice-weekly newsletter that curates from over 40 sources to bring you a five-minute email read on all things agriculture. Join 10,000-plus farmers and agriculture professionals today. Sign up today for free at magneticag.com. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast, a proud member of the Global Ag Network. I am your host, Jason Meadows, as always. Today, we are going to dive into the story of a one Maddie Caldwell. Uh, Maddie is just has just an incredible, incredible story of what could have been a tragedy for herself and for so many who are around her. Uh, but she'll, as you'll hear, through this near tragedy in her life, a couple near tragedies, honestly, in her life, she has been able to bounce back and tell the story and make a huge difference in lots of people's lives as she has shared her struggles and shared what it has taken to get her back to uh, kind of a place that where she's strong enough to share these things. And, uh, I'm, I just, this is a very emotional episode. Uh, you'll find out I talk very little in this episode. This is because I don't want, I don't feel like I had anything to contribute because Maddie tells her story with such passion and so well that, I just wanted to kind of let her go and tell it and, you know, ask a few questions here and there. So uh, I'm very excited for you all to hear this. Uh, as you heard at the beginning, before we get started here, as you heard at the beginning of this episode, uh, our sponsor for today's podcast is the Magnetic Ag Newsletter. Uh, I want to throw in a personal note on that, and I am already a subscriber to the Magnetic Ag Newsletter, and uh, it is, it's the best ag newsletter that there is. Uh, I don't think that there is any competition in that. Uh, it's very well done. So much good information on agriculture. So I really do, after you get done with this podcast, I encourage you to go out and subscribe to the Magnetic Ag newsletter. I'll have all the info on that in the show notes. Uh, that way you'll, it's very easy for you to subscribe. All right, here we go with my podcast interview with Maddie Caldwell. All right, Maddie Caldwell, excuse me, Maddie Caldwell, welcome to the Ag State of Mind podcast. How are you this evening? I am great. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm happy to talk to you. I appreciate, you know, I feel like I say this a lot to people because our lives are always hectic and busy, but I appreciate you being patient with me as far as having to reschedule and everything and wait on me a little bit tonight. I, I appreciate your patience. 
I do not mind at all. I live a pretty hectic lifestyle being a sales rep. So in saying that, you sort of have to be able to change things up pretty quickly. Sure. Yeah, so I, I don't I don't mind at all. Yep. <laughs> well, you your story was shared to me by actually a number of people. A number of people have pointed me towards you and your story and just reading it was so very captivating and it's so it's it, it's hard to read it's hard to hear sometimes but it's also it's very inspiring as well so tell everybody a little bit about your background and then just kind of your your whole story all right so i'll first start out by saying the whole reason that i ever you know about a week after my first attempt, I made a pretty long, lengthy post on Facebook and was pretty open about what happened. And the only reason that I opened up in the first place at any point in time were for very selfish reasons. And, you know, my parents, my family members, my friends were getting awful text messages and calls about me possibly, you know, overdosing on hard drugs or anything but what actually happened to me. And I, I saw them trying to heal from what had actually happened. I was trying to heal myself. And honestly, I just wanted them to be quiet. So I I never in a million years that I, did I ever imagine that we would have gotten to this point that people would be calling me, asking me for advice, that people would be calling me, offering me opportunities like this. I, I never intended for this, but what I found is the exact opposite happened. It, it became a very unselfish thing and more of, mm-hmm. well, if, if I can get over being embarrassed and you know, let's be real, it's not fun to talk about for me. It's not fun to bring up all of those memories, but the exact opposite happened from that first post that I did. People started reaching out to me that I had grown up with my entire life and had said, oh my gosh, like my husband is the only one who knows that I went through something like you did. I've never had the power to come out and say anything. I've never had the power to go and get help even as an adult. Young kids, I mean, all across the board, and it would shock you. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to publicly expose anyone who, but people that each of us know, and each of you probably know, reached out to me. And it's just so eye-opening to think that, you know, I wish I would have been able to tell myself that, uh, you know, two years ago, actually, two years ago, Friday. So we're, we're getting oh, pretty so we're close to the, on the anniversary of it then. On, on the second, yeah, on the second attempt anniversary. So yeah, it, it's just, it's so wild the way that life works. But just to go back to your question, I grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere, Illinois, about 30 miles west of Peoria, 30 miles east of Galesburg. So right in between those two cities, if any of you are familiar, um, right off of Interstate 74, we showed cattle and I talked my dad into showing pigs as I got older and um, had a lot of success. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying that to help the story of how things worked. So through that time, my dad had owned an online sale business. I worked online sales every night. It was able to pay for my college, but while in high school, I competed in FFA really heavily and was fortunate enough to 
win national FFA proficiencies in uh, 2016. I got a full tuition scholarship to junior college. I was an ag ambassador and we had to take a mandatory psychology class uh, first, uh, first or second semester freshman year must've been first. And, um, I, I loved it. People mm. complained about it every day, but I, I dug psychology. I mean, I could have listened to her all day long, our professor. And, um, you know, we went through a couple of different chapters and we got to a chapter of mental, you know, mental illness, anxiety, depression, yada, yada, yada. And I mean, when I tell you that every single day she was saying things that I connected to, like it, it was crazy. So I had developed a really close relationship with her and she pulled me aside and I was talking to her and she's like, you know, Maddie, everything that you're telling me and everything that I've watched in you over the past however many weeks, I think you should think about going to see a doctor. And I was like, well, I never considered that. And to be quite honest, like, I was like, well, I'm not telling anybody that. I'm not telling my friends. I'm not telling my family. Like, maybe when I go to my primary care physician, uh, when I go home next, maybe I'll visit her and ask. But hell no, I'm not saying a word to anybody. You know, I, I was so almost embarrassed and just ashamed. And so that next week or the week after something like that, I went to my primary care physician she did like a yearly checkup or whatever. And towards the end, I was like, hey, can I talk to you about something? She's like, yeah, of course. I was like, I, you know, I am constantly worrying. I can't sleep at night because my mind just can't turn off. I said, I've been like this since I was really young, but recently I took a class and I'm really relating to it. And it was almost kind of scary because she like practically ran out of the room came back in, had a man with her and these two laminated paper sheets. And she was like, can you fill these out for us? And it was asking like what I thought at the time was like crazy questions. I mean, I don't know what I expected from her, but it wasn't this. And, you know, the anxiety scale, what I found out now at the time, I was like, I don't know what these even mean, was really high. My depression scale wasn't, wasn't super high at all, but Anyways, one thing led to another, and um, she put me on a fairly low dose of just a typical anxiety medication, mm -hmm. and then set me up with the gentleman who came in, and he was a therapist. Now, at the time, we, um, my mom worked at a Catholic hospital, so they don't actually have psychiatrists there. He was actually a counselor, not really a therapist, and to be quite honest with you, uh, him and I just did it. We didn't have anything similar. Like... I would go in there and he'd be like, so at these shows that you go to, is there a place where you can sit and like meditate or reflect or like a lake or a pond or something you could go sit at? And I remember just staring at him so blankly like, dude, no, like we are, we are constantly working when we're at livestock shows or wherever else out in the barn. Like I don't have time to sit still, you know, everything else on the farm depends on us. And like, I, I'm taking time to even come into the doctor, which I never do. And so anyway, so I quit going. Mm -hmm. Six months, six months later, I went back into the doctor. Medicine wasn't working. She upped it. Six months later, medicine wasn't working, went back in and she upped it. Fast forward to August of 2019. And I went in because my medication wasn't working anymore. And she's like, hey, I will up you this time. But after that, you're, you're at the max dose. Like this is all we can do. 
and um, never said another word about other medication, never, never said anything. And at the end of the conversation, she's like, you know, you're, you're at a dose that a grown adult man would, would take. I mean, that's quite a kick in the gut, especially when you're down already. So I just left there. I felt so defeated, honestly. My depression started to get really bad from that point on. Like it had lingered for a while, but it, it, it just started to get real bad. And the year prior, so September of 2019, so a couple days later, was the anniversary of my grandma's heart transplant. And to be quite honest, that was, that was real hard on me. You know, when she got her transplant the year prior, everything was so happy and great. And like, you didn't really take much time to think about much else. And I'd worked really hard to get us in contact with the family of her, of the heart that she received. And I did that. And, you know, social media is a curse and a blessing. And mm-hmm. I, I befriended them throughout the course of that year. And then on the anniversary, I started to see all of their posts. It was absolutely mm-hmm. heart wrenching mm-hmm. because I, I was sitting there celebrating a year of life with my grandma that I am very close with. And then I was reading their posts and I'm a very empathetic person. It's like when other people feel something, I I just, I want so badly to take it away from them. And looking back, like I see things like that and I'm like, this was my way of thinking, but I was like, why couldn't that have been me? You know, I don't want them to go through this. Like I would do anything to take that away from them. And, you know, things just getting worse, got worse and worse. And some other things happened in my life that were just, I had a lot of change coming up. I was getting ready to graduate college, potentially moving away from home. So many things changing in my life. And that just, it, it was so hard for me to grasp all of that. A couple things happened in mid-December. And finally, on December 18th, I was like, I was literally just, I was like shot. I I had no, no other fight in me. And like, I felt like I had reached out to uh, uh, not really reached out. Like no one knew that anything was wrong, but to the point of, I always felt like I was bothering someone else. Mm -hmm. And I lived, I I lived with seven boys at the time. Some of my best friends. And um, like, I, I just, I felt like such a burden to everybody. And at that point I was like, something in my brain genuinely felt like, you, you're so much better off gone, Maddie. Like everyone else's lives would be so much better without you burdening them with everything that's going on wrong in your life. I, I can't really explain it now. And it's really hard for me to even remember back to exactly how it felt that day. But in my mind, everything felt right. Like that felt like the most reasonable thing for me to do. And so December 19th, woke up, uh, went downstairs. I have frequent migraines. So I told mom, my head hurt. I was going to go back to bed. I went to my room, took as many pills as I possibly could shove in me and went to sleep. And typically I, I was home for Christmas break. And typically I would, if I went to sleep again for a migraine, I would sleep until noon or so. So mom came in to check on me at one o'clock or whatever. And I was completely unresponsive she's a nurse and she's pretty much known to be pretty quick and to the point and on her feet. And Mm -hmm. she got me into the vehicle with some help and um, drove me straight to the ER. And it was too late for them to pump my stomach or anything. And on my way, I, 
she's told me later on and like I really don't quite remember this but she said I just told her mom just let me die I told her if they can take my organs please take them like I was so worried about everything else in that moment I don't remember any of this but I was in the hospital for a couple of days before I was placed into an inpatient facility and so this is December 19th like days before Christmas and um Uh, to be honest, it was a very rough experience. Like I was still at a Catholic hospital and there was no therapist, there was no psychiatrist there to come and evaluate me. They had to bring someone else in from a different hospital to even evaluate me, which took like three days. Once, you know, once he finally got there to do his evaluation, he's like, well, once we find you a place and somebody will come get you. Well, I think they showed up at like four o'clock or five o'clock in the morning and took me in a wheelchair with security guards. And I was so angry. Like, I didn't even look back. We're such a tight-knit family. I was so angry. I, I didn't even look back and say goodbye to my family who had literally been sleeping in hospital chairs for four days straight. My dad had uh, was in Oklahoma at the time. When he got the phone call, he hadn't slept. It was just, yeah, I was just so mad to be alive. And um, so they took me down in this awful elevator, basically where they take the hearse down in the very basement and put me into a police car and uh, took me over across the street to where they had an inpatient psychiatric unit. I was there and I did everything in my power to get out as soon as possible. They told me to eat food. They told me to go to all the classes that I could. And I did that. And when I tell you that that You know, you watch on the movies and on the TV shows, places like I went to, you think of these green pools and gyms and people coming in to talk to you in your nice, luxurious, basically hotel room. When I tell you, if you could think of the worst, they they just have to protect you from hurting yourself. I mean, the bed is bolted to the floor, no, no doors on the bathrooms. No, you could have no toiletries of your own, no clothes, no nothing. And granted, I'm sure there are places that aren't like this, but in Illinois, if you attempt, you know, express an attempt or attempt to take your life, you are mandated to go to an inpatient facility in a hospital. It's not like a place where you could go pay to have some luxurious treatment. It's not like that. So anyway, so I did everything I could to get out of there and um, was released Christmas Eve morning. And honestly, the whole time in my head, I was like, I'm doing everything I can just to get through till my parents let their guard down and I'm doing it again. Like, I felt like even more so now, those feelings that I had before, I mean, I just saw everybody struggling around me, my friends, my family, everyone. And that's not to say that they still don't to this day, but I just, I can't explain just the sadness and the hurt that I saw on all of their faces 24-7. You know, Christmas was not the same. Holidays were not the same. Every day was not the same as it had been in years previous. And so I, I pretty much did everything I could the next couple of months to get by before I could try it again. I, I was just so bound and determined. And so April 1st, I went and had lunch with my grandpa and my dad. And um, I'm going to try not to get emotional because mm-hmm. this this day time. in particular, yeah. yeah, this day in particular was one that will, um, I mean, it changed my life. If I can think of one day in my entire life that changed 
change the trajectory of things more than April 1st of 2020, this is it. So I went to eat lunch with my dad and my grandpa, drove over the farm. And I I mean, I'll, I'll just be real blunt with you. There's a medication on the farm that I had been taught for my entire life not to touch. I had heard people, uh, grown men all across the country who would prick their finger with a needle and basically it had heart attacks. I, I knew that this, like too. yeah, this, mm-hmm. I, I, I knew that this is what would do it. So I, uh, uh, this just shows you what a bad space I was in. I mean, I hate needles. If anyone knows me, they know that I can't stand needles. And I injected two cc's into both of my sides. I had done research to find out where the best place was, the most painless place was. And I I still don't think it was the most. Anyways, and I went and sat. I sat in my car up at like the corner of one of our pastures where I didn't think anybody would bug me. And I waited. I waited. And my legs started to turn like purple and blue and red. And I've never told anyone these details, but I'm just trying to, you know, it's just vivid in my mind right now. So anyways, nothing was happening like 45 minutes later. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like what's going on? So I, uh, I I didn't want my parents to find out. So I drove uptown. My best friend's mom had been through a really similar situation I didn't tell her at first. I just told her I was outside. And sooner or later, like, she got the gist of what was happening. And about that time, I started sort of fading in and out. She called my dad, of course, and my dad got there before the ambulance did. And when I tell you, my dad, he has a short temper, I would say. I mean, he's a typical farm guy, you know. He was so mad. I I can't even, like, I I can't even tell you how angry he was. I mean, he was just, like, screaming. A police officer was there, maybe two police officers, and they were, like, holding, he was not going to do anything, but they were, like, sir, you need to calm down. And he was just screaming. And so, of course, I was just, I was a disaster. And so the ambulance finally got there. They pulled me out of the car, pulled me up on a stretcher and he, dad wouldn't even speak to me. And all I remember as they shut the doors to the ambulance and turned the sirens on was looking back out the two windows and just seeing my dad down on the middle of the road, just watching. And uh, I promised myself right then, I was like, if I can make it through this, I will never do this again. So on the way to the hospital, I had a couple of seizures. I was so hot. That's all I remember. I don't remember anything. My mom was working at the hospital that day. And so she, uh, COVID had just happened. So nobody was allowed in the hospital. We're in? Yeah. Yeah. My mom that I was headed to. Mm-hmm. And uh, COVID had just happened. So. I mean, everything was locked down as it's ever been. And so my mom wasn't allowed. They weren't allowing anyone out of their immediate unit. And uh, so my mom was on the phone with people downstairs, and uh, they weren't going to let her down. And finally, the ambulance driver must have talked to somebody, and they said, ma'am, you need to go downstairs and say goodbye to your daughter. 
my mom that she has never forgotten. So I, I don't remember anything else. I remember, I mean, it was humiliating because I, I remember sort of flashing in and out. I remember them having to put a catheter in and I don't remember much else. I was in the intensive care unit for uh, four or five days, I think. And we worked really hard this time. I was, you know, you're not allowed to have a phone or anything. And one thing that I have always said that one of the hardest things to wake up and see, I was not awake at all. And I looked over to my right-hand side and there's a window that I could have basically touched where my bed was. The blinds were sort of open to a way that I could see through. And I saw this man, he had cords and, and, but just so much around him. And I I mean, I assumed that he was in there for COVID because they had like a screen in the front of his door and whatever. And I just remember thinking to myself, Maddie, like he does not want to be here and you put yourself here. Like what, what have you, what were you thinking? And so anyways, I got taken up to a, um, another inpatient facility in Chicago, and that place changed my life. No, it, it still wasn't anything extravagant. In fact, it was far from it. Same, no doors on the bathrooms, no nothing. They were so helpful. I had, uh, I got there at midnight or one, of, their transportation is at very odd hours. And so I got there at midnight or one o'clock, and the nurse that accepted me in was so sweet. Oh my gosh, they were just great. They took me into the room where I was going to be staying and I met so many people. And at that point, I learned like, Maddie, you aren't the only one that felt that way. Like you are, you're not like, not normal because of the way you felt. I was in there with other people that knew exactly how I was feeling, were in the same place as me, cast no judgment. I mean, it felt, it felt so like comforting and so um I was in there for six or seven days I think I can't the the days sort of like kind of mesh together so my parents picked me up it's like three hours away from home and when I tell you that my dad did not speak he only yelled and only yelled a few times the whole way home all three hours it has taken me a very long time to gain trust back to them. And I guess one thing that we did do after my first attempt, my dad and I got semicolon tattoos. And that was my promise to him that I was never going to do it again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I broke that promise. And man, I, I just, uh, from then on, I was, um, I was in outpatient hospitalization for three or four months following that and went from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. and just basically went into the hospital and talked to other people and learned skills and, and all sorts of stuff to help me get through what life looked like after all of this. They got me, you know, consistently on a new round of meds that I'm still on now, no high doses, no nothing. I absolutely love it. And when I tell people, I, I will freely tell people, Finding the right anxiety, mental health, whatever it is, medication is like finding a cocktail that you like. You have to be, have an open conversation with your psychiatrist or whomever to get that. It, it makes 
might take 10 adjustments to get you to where you need to be, but do not stop advocating for yourself. Parents, do not stop advocating for your kids. You know, you don't have to continue living like that. And I, I guess that's what I, that, you know, the space that I was in at, at that time. So I hope that's a, that's a roundabout way. And, you know, the reason that I told you earlier about winning national proficiencies and having success in the show ring is, you know, from the outside looking in, people are like, man, she's got the perfect life. I'm going to, that was going to be my first thing that I, when you're done talking is, yeah. and I don't mean to interrupt you because, and it, 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 it's, it's proof that these issues have no boundaries. I and mean, listen, I, I lived with four boys in college. Now, granted, boys aren't always the most observant, but you would think, I live with seven of them. Sorry if I said four, I can't remember. So you would think that one of the seven or my professors or somebody would have seen it, but I was so good at covering it up. We are a very close family. Like no matter who I was around, I have not, I have not talked to one single person that I'm close with that said, man, Maddie, like I, I could have maybe seen that coming. Like, no, I put a smile on my face every single day. And like looking back, I've struggled with anxiety for a very long time, longer than I, I would care to admit. I have constantly worried. I have constantly felt so much of what everyone else was going through, worried about them, worried about the future, worried about things that weren't, couldn't even have happened. And, you know, like I said, I, I had so much going for me. My parents literally gave anything and everything they possibly could to have helped us. It, I mean, my dad had always said, if he dies broke, that means he's done something for us. I mean, they gave us anything and everything we could have imagined. I had every opportunity. I had, be quite honest, growing up, like there was nothing that I didn't want for. Like if my parent, I was an only child for about five years and we didn't have a whole lot at that time, but my, I should say my parents didn't have a lot at that time because they spent every nickel and dime that they had making sure that I had everything that I needed, even, even with they, when they didn't. And it, it just goes to show that it doesn't matter your gender, your age, your anything, whether you're rich or poor, whether you have all the stuff, things in the world, or you don't. Anxiety and depression does not care. It, no mental illness cares. They don't, they don't do a survey before they're like, hmm, I'm going to fester into your life. That you know, it, it's not like that. And that's something that is so important for me to, to, you know, tell people is I had everything and still something was not right in my brain. And I'm standing here. And I'm not afraid to admit it. I have a, a great job. I have, you know, family and friends. Let's be real. Some that have walked away and some that I've lost throughout this experience. And that is the number one hardest thing. But I've got people that have stood by me and like I said, my family and friends and, um, I, you know, I made it to the other side. How I did, it, the company that manufactures the product, poison control, the hospital is still trying to figure out. I, I actually just signed off on a 178-page uh, 
printout of some sort of my records and every single thing that they did from the time I got in the ambulance until I left the intensive care unit. And no one can seem to figure it out. You know, whether you're a religious person or not, or whatever you want, it took a higher power, whatever you believe in. It, it took a higher power for me to be here right now. And the only thing that I can drum up from the whole experience is like, Maddie, you got to get over how embarrassed you are and help other people. Tell them that there, there's time to get help. They're not alone. You know, I, I hope that makes even the slightest bit of sense. I, I hope I'm not rambling, but. So, and you're not. And I, gosh, I appreciate your honesty and your openness and your willing to help your willingness to help people because it's no doubt seeing and hearing your struggle is there's going to be people who relate so much to it. And when you said that you seem to have it all together, you do, you're a, you're a, beautiful girl looking at all the stuff that you've done you know based on your social media i mean it, from the outside looking in it seems flawless but i mean you 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 are proof that it does, none of that stuff matters as far as when it comes to your your anxiety or depression or how you feel about yourself none of that stuff matters and I think it's, 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 it almost in your story and as hard as your story has been, and I'm sure still continues to be, it maybe gives somebody else a little hope, maybe that they don't have to struggle in silence. Absolutely. I think the one thing, if I could look back and talk to myself, you know, three years ago or two and a half years ago. I would tell myself like, Hey, you're not the only one that feels this way. I think that's genuinely how I felt. I felt like such an oddball. Like I can't say it out loud because I just can't. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm the only one in the world that feels that way. And I genuinely, that's what my mind thought that, that I was the only one that felt that way. I was so alone. And that just, that, that most certainly just isn't the case. So in you seeming to have it together or you're seemingly your life that looks great to other people and, and you, you said it yourself, you have a great life, but did that make it harder to, I mean, did that make it harder to reach out or did it like make internally make you feel like you almost didn't have a right to struggle? For me, it was almost like a pride thing. And even still now, I was so scared because I know, I know that people are going to judge. I get it. Mm -hmm. People, some people just can't fathom the idea that someone would feel that way. And I get it. But what I want you to do, if you're one of those people that's listening right now, I want you to think about your five closest friends. Just think about five of them, five closest friends, family members. I will promise you that at least one of them has been affected, is struggling, whatever the case may be with mental illness, with mental health of some kind. And I'm not saying to the extent of what I experienced, I, maybe they are, but 
you've got to remember that. I mean, it, it's just crazy. If, if you think about, like I said, your five closest friends, at least one of them struggles. Mm-hmm. So if you don't want to understand it for yourself, at least try to understand it for them and be that hand that reaches out. You know, even if we started reaching out, like pick five people, say over the next month, I'm going to just send a nice text or do whatever to those five people. And I will promise you one of them will feel so much better because of it. I mean, like I said, I I think that it's so hard for me to grasp that people could still feel this that way. I mean, I feel like I put it all out there, but I get it. Some people just don't understand and, and that's okay. But for me, even now, like I know that people feel that way and that's hard for me because I, at this point, like, and anymore, I sort of, at first I felt like I was having to explain myself Mm -hmm. and that was very hard for me. I, I didn't want to sit there and have to explain myself over and over again, because I'll be really honest. One, one thing that I've talked with my therapist about is sort of, you know, when you're going through such a traumatic time your mind sort of shuts off. And for a long time, I hardly had any memories of what happened. I I know that sounds crazy, but I I just couldn't. I was asking people that were there, like, can you please repeat that? Can you repeat it again? Like, how did things happen? What happened? And, And that honestly helped me heal a little bit to know exactly and to try to piece back what was going through my head at that time. And that really has helped. But yeah, I felt like I was explaining myself at first. And anymore now, like, I just feel like I'm pretty much like, you know, if people feel that way, that's totally fine. I understand it. I respect it. But I'm going to keep telling my story mm-hmm. in hopes that it helps that one person who doesn't feel like, you know, whatever about it. Um, I mean, I know there's there's been people that made comments like, oh, she's she's ungrateful or, you know, what a selfish thing to do. And like, well, I don't feel that way. Like I pray that someday I'll understand why they feel that way. And until then, I'm just going to keep telling my story that that's all I can do, because I hope that the people who say those, you know, negative things do not have someone in their life that is struggling and hears them say that. Like that's, that's the main point of me telling my story. I, I hope that those people who don't believe in mental health or, you know, if, it's even as my family, we didn't talk about it. I, we never mental health. I don't even think we brought it up one time in our lives. I, I, I really don't, you know, agriculturalists, people that work, you know, on farms and ranches, we take care of everyone else all the time, whether that be animals, other humans, whatever the case may be, we have no time to think about ourselves and to think about ourselves. We've sort of in our own minds thought, man, I don't want to be selfish. Like, right. I, I don't want to focus on myself. Like, very rarely will you ever have someone involved in the agriculture, livestock, whatever industry, it, put themselves first. I, granted, I know there are people that are, but to our core, we were made, we grew up to know to take care of everything else before ourselves. Yeah, no, you're you're 100% right. And, you know, that's part of what makes us who we are right? That's hard. That's part of what it's like growing up on a farm. And it's what makes it work. And it's like, you have to be that way to a certain extent. You know, there has to be things that come before you 
but as you as you have proven like that it, that can go too far that can become too extreme and that's a very like fine line to toe as far as you know how, do i how, at what point is it too much at what point do i have to push pull back and start taking care better care of myself and letting other things possibly go and you know i don't know that i think that answer is different for everyone i think everyone has their own answer to that or that own line that they can or cannot cross but i think we all need to try to define that for ourselves because it is it's it is ingrained into our nature to to put other things first yeah i actually just the other day i was having a conversation that just that i just thought about i mean a friend of ours an acquaintance i would say she pulled me this side at a show and she said you know i have a daughter she's 16 years old and my husband looked at me not too long ago and said, hey, if Maddie Caldwell and everything that she's done and has can go through it, we need to check on our kids more. And if that's a stance that people need to think about the things that have happened in my life and my quote unquote perfect life, which it is not. <laughs> but if that's what it takes for me to come out and tell my story for people to be like, oh gosh, like we've got to start checking on our people more. Like, I'm going to keep doing it. And all along, like, mental illness is not a new thing, but it's something that we have never been comfortable talking about. Saying anything about our, you know, about our sickness even, just any sickness, is a sign of weakness in a lot of our industry. And, like, the thing that I've tried to tell a lot of people is mental illness is, is that it, it's an illness. So I need you to think of it as this is how I explained it to my grandparents because they were just, they obviously were super loving and supportive, but they just couldn't comprehend it because they had never been taught. It was something they had never talked about. I mean, you think about me, 24 years, we never talked about it. And the, like, it was just ingrained to them. That, that wasn't even something they spoke about. And so I said, I, I need you to think of it like an illness, as if I were to break my bone Something in my brain is broken and it takes time to heal just like a broken bone does. And I need you to think about that. My mom broke her ankle, I, I don't know, 10 years ago. She still takes vitamins every day and I get vitamin or different than medication, but I still have to take my medication every day to keep my brain from being broken again. And I know that sounds really bad, but that's the simplified way that I have to think about it. To help explain it to people who like mental illness is just not even something that they talk about think about anything no in your in your proof that and you say it so eloquently in the fact that i mean you wouldn't think twice if somebody broke a broken ankle or broke a leg or or e even take it to another step or had a heart attack anything any other sort of medical, physical condition, whatever it may be. Nobody would blink, blink at anything else going on. But when we start talking, like, Oh, you need to take off, you need to take off work. Okay. All right. Absolutely. Oh, you can't make it to dinner today. Oh, that that's totally fine. We can reschedule. I mean, there are just so many instances where people would be so 
you, you know, so okay, for lack of a better term, with people, you know, as if, it is hard for me, as if a, as if a broken bone was any different than anything else. Well, to me, I mean, ultimately, what's more important than mental health? I mean, if you want to really boil it down, what part of your body controls the rest of your body? It's your brain. And I mean, really, and mental health is about is brain health. I mean, if it's a domino effect from there. Exactly. So, I mean, if you really want to think about it in a, in a holistic manner, the most important aspect of your health is your mental health, because it genuinely affects everything else. Right. And trust me, if your mental health is in a really bad place, everything else goes down with it. Yep. I, I can't tell you. I mean, when it, you just, I mean, the character, characteristic signs of being depressed, sleeping all day, feeling exhausted, uh, that's typical flu, you know? Right. It, yep. No, you're, gosh. I could talk to you for hours upon hours. I've got, I've never written so many notes. I've just got these. You should see. You can't see me. We're not. For those of you who are just listening, I we're just over audio here. So, but I've got notes like sticky notes spread out all around me. I'm just totally captivated by your story, and it's it, it's just the fact of it is is like it's 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 you know, and I don't want to say it like I don't want to say say anything lightly, but it. It's it, it, to those of us who struggle, it's, it's comforting to know that other people, especially people who we keep going back to the same thing over and over is it, it seemingly, it's a seemingly flawless life to see that there's still struggles, even within the most perfect lives or quote unquote, perfect gives us a little bit of permission. Yeah. And let me just, let me just say real quick. My life is not perfect. Right. No, like, I know. I, had, I know. I had I had so many opportunities, but in the eyes of others from the outside, sure. like everything was so wonderful. Yep. And I feel so blessed because I know a lot of people did not have, I mean, you just think of people like, like people that are overseas or something like that, that didn't have near the opportunities that we did that are still fighting to get food on the table every day. Yeah. You just think about stuff like that. I mean, it's just, it's a very eye opening. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I say that like tongue in cheek, cause I know it's not perfect. And, you know, I personally, I relate a lot to your story, mostly to the fact that on the outside looking in, everything looks perfect. And, uh, you know, and you really are the only one sometimes that knows how not perfect it is. So, I mean, when I st tell you, I know how you feel or how, what you've been through, I do like, I, I, I a hundred percent gravitate towards your story. And I think that's why it's so captivating to me. And it's, it's a story I wish I could have told when I was your age. Now, granted, I'm not a lot older than you, but you said it yourself you you had a lot of things a lot of anxiety things that you just totally ignored and I, those things started for me when i was in college and it it kind of escalated from there and you know if i would have had 
if I would have had somebody who talked the way you do when I was 23, 24 years old, um, man, that would have been, that would have saved me a lot of grief. It would have saved me a lot of uh, heartache. And uh, well, so- I appreciate that. I'm, I'm by no, like uh, when I tell you, I, I just, I, I made a comment the other day and it's really stuck with me. Like if I could have only shown that girl that night being taken in the ambulance or in the cop car in the awful downstairs, whatever it was I was in, like a glimpse of what my life would look like now. I just, I'm so proud. Like I never have said, I'm so proud of how far I've come and I'm, I'm going to keep telling my story because each and every day, like my phone does not have a single day that a random number or a random name or doesn't call text or message me um reaching out needing help or just to just to express their gratitude because they went and got help because they they read my story and they thought it's okay to get help but i don't want to take up any more of your time i know we've probably gone over now but i i greatly appreciate this opportunity i'm I'm so thankful to have been given it and um just for anyone listening he has my contact information. I, I'm an open book. So call, text, or reach out to me on Facebook, whatever, if you just need a listening ear. So, and I want to I wanna close this here by you talking, reminding me of this post I saw on Instagram, and it's this guy, and he's holding up this sign, and I'll send it to you whenever we're done here. It says, when we recover loudly, we keep others from dying quietly. Oh, wow. I had not seen that before, but that's amazing. It's amazing. Like it it gives me chills and goosebumps to think about because of something you said earlier in the fact that um, somebody might think that you're doing it for attention or whatever. And I, I did read, I went down the rabbit hole of the article that Farm Journal wrote. I went through the rabbit hole going through like every share and yeah there was a guy um actually uh he studied psychiatry in college and is a nurse and yeah he said that I was one of the most selfish humans alive granted I've never met this man in my whole life have no idea who he is but I I know there's people that think that and that's okay like Mm. I, I respect your opinion I understand but like I said earlier I pray that your friend or family member or loved one does not see that post and they're struggling themselves. Like that's, yeah. that's all I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it's, and that's why, I mean, I struggle with this sometimes too. Like, am I blowing the horn too loud? Am I talking too much? Is it too much? And, you know, when I see that it's like, no, it's not because you never know who who's going to hear you win or see you win or whatever it may be. And if, if you can keep talking and talking and doing the work that you're doing, and if it prevents one person from, from dying, then it's worth it. It's worth all the quote unquote, possibly embarrassing things or, or, or sh- oversharing or whatever you word you want to put to it, it makes it all worth it with the, just the off the, the possibility that you're sharing so loudly can help somebody in, in, in silence. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Maddie, I appreciate it. 
what is the best way for people to get a hold of you? Uh, honestly, anything. I'm on all social media platforms except Twitter. I deleted Twitter. Um, so don't reach out to me. Yeah, don't reach out to me there. Please, my phone number, I'm going to say it real slow, is 309-253-7142. If I don't answer the phone call, leave a message, text me beforehand, whatever, call me anytime, day or night. I always leave my phone on. Well, Maddie, this has been, you've just been just such a refreshing person to talk to. Um, and I know this is going to help people. And I, I'm very thankful for you sharing your story. And let's keep the lines of communication open because I would love to talk to you again. Um, and I don't know, down the road, see where we're at. And, you know, maybe we, maybe, maybe we run into each other at a farm event someday or something that would be ideal. Um, so. Absolutely. Someday my goal is someday I will let you come tour. I'm either going to open up um, a facility of some sort, a mental health facility, or someday I won't have the job that I am and I'll be living on campus somewhere helping other people. That's the goal. Oh, wow. But we're really, we're really far from there. So until then, we'll just, we'll just meet in the middle at, well, at Farmhouse or something though. like that. Yeah. Yeah. But so that's that yeah that's my goal for now awesome well thanks again and like i say we'll keep the we'll keep the line of communication open sounds wonderful thank you so much have a great day yep you too thank you thanks for listening to ag state of mind we hope this episode has encouraged you be sure to follow us on twitter facebook and instagram at ag state of mind and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.